Have you ever wondered just what is God up to? Well, to our great joy, he tells us in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the 10th verse, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now you know why he came. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He, he came to seek. He's a hunter. Now, that makes sense, you know, because he was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And lions are pretty good hunters. And in fact, one great poet, Francis Hunter, called him the hound of heaven. I like that. Uh, I had a fellow tell me that a bloodhound can track you if there's only one part per million of odor in the air. Yeah, I think I lay down more odor than that. In <laughs> Now, it's possible, I doubt it, but it's always possible that there's actually someone here this morning who's running from God. If you are, what a strange place to hide. <laughs> yeah, he knows you're here. He followed you. Even as you drove here this morning, you may have heard him in the distance. Oh. <laughs> Even as you walked in the door, you may have heard, well, just how good a hunter is he? Well, I'll tell you what, let's read a hunting story. That's one thing I love about the Bible, folks. It's everything you need it to be. It's even Field and Stream magazine when you need it to be. So let's back up just not ten verses and go to verse 1 of Luke 19. I said Acts. This first service, and they had them confused, half the sermon. <laughs> Let's back up ten verses to the first verse of Luke 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, folks, that's the Bible's way of saying he was hot on a trail, okay? Just have to know how to read the Bible, folks. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Aha! Now we know who the prey is. He was a chief tax collector, a favorite sort of person, and he was very rich. Oh, well, you might know. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, and now you know why I've chosen to speak of this man this morning, <laughs> he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. <laughs> now we've got him treed. <laughs> I told you it was a hunting story, you know. Now you've got to stop here and for just a moment imagine that you are a Zacchaeus. You're the richest man in town. You're the best known man in town. You're the best dressed man in town. You're a man of dignity. You're a suave and debonair. Maybe even swavy and deboner. I don't know. And you're up a tree. <laughs> you 
I mean, just think of it for a moment, you know. He had to be a little embarrassed. With great day. What am I doing up here, you know? Maybe if I get high enough, nobody will see me. Now, I don't believe this tree was in the middle of the road. Trees and roads are a little bit incompatible. He's probably somewhere off, you know, a few feet away. And I can see him as he's watching Jesus. He's thinking, good, I'll watch him as he goes this way. This way I can get some idea. And so Jesus is walking. And it says, when Jesus reached the spot, the place. Can you see Jesus under this tree? And you know, old, old Zacchaeus is up there. He's nervous. And, and Jesus comes under his tree, and I can see him going. I smell a sinner. And then he looked up in the tree and said, now I want you to see what he did not say. He did not look up in that tree and say, to whom it may concern in trees. Nor did he say, if you're up a tree this morning, I'm speaking to you. He's a better hunter than that. He looked up and said, back in! How did he know? He's a good hunter. Some of you guys I know, but most of you I don't. I don't know how you became Christians, if you are. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're like that. It's so wonderful. Wonderful. Maybe you can even remember the first time you came. Maybe you came under protest. Maybe your spouse said, you come on, all right, I'm coming. Maybe your co-workers were after you, or your friend. Okay, okay, I'll come if you'll get off my back. All right, okay, all right. So here you are. <laughs> and then John gets up and just opens the scripture, and he begins to read it and explain it. And you're sitting there thinking, somebody snitched on me. Who told him that? If he uses my name, I'll sue him. It's like the Bible is this huge gun up here, man, that goes off, boom, and there's this huge bullet coming at you. It's real slow, but it doesn't drop. And as it gets closer, you look and your name is written all over it. <laughs> Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, <laughs> make haste. They don't use those words anymore. Hurry up, come down. Go into your house. Now put yourself back in Zacchaeus' shoes. You're the richest man in town. You're the best known man in town. You're the best dressed man in town. You're a man of dignity. You're suave and devil now. And you've just been flushed out of a tree. <laughs> the Bible says he made haste and came down. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. What was it about? There has to be some time in this word, and. What was it about Jesus? What was it about the way he respected people, the way he loved people, the way he approached people that would cause even the worst of sinners to say to him, Boy, I'm glad you're here. They don't always say that to me. 
I, I wish they would, though. I want to have that kind of love. I want to have that kind of approach to people. I want to have that kind of respect for people that would cause even the worst of sinners to say to me, Oh, I'm glad you're here. Mm. Well, we have some other people in our stomach. Have you ever wondered who they want? You know, someone says, well, they say, and well, who is they? We now have a they in our story. When they, all the people, saw this, they began to mutter and complain. He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Isn't gossip wonderful? <laughs> Come on, folks. We love it. I do. Someone says to me, Hey, Dale, have you heard the latest? I say, No. What? Who <laughs> <laughs> it? I can hear these people. Oh, he was doing so good. We had such hope for He thought he might we thought he might even be the Messiah boy. But now he's going to be the guest of a man who's a star. Who can you trust anymore? <laughs> well, folks, I don't understand this because if there's anybody you want to have get saved, it's a tax collector. <laughs> well, meanwhile, back at the ranch there's quite a party going on here and so Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, right now, I give half of my goods to the poor. Whoa. When have you ever been at a party where the host got up and said, Hey, it's such a good party, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor right now. And this was not what some call a faith promise. This was not a pledge. <laughs> it was here and now, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now, folks, this lets me know that this man, Zacchaeus, had truly met Jesus. Something happens when you meet Jesus. Your value system changes, doesn't it? <laughs> Those of you who have read the Jesus style, an outstanding book, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't read it, that's why your life has worked. I need you to know that. <laughs> You know that I believe Jesus was the one truly others-centered person. And when you meet him, your lifestyle changes, your whole, your value system changes. To this point, Zacchaeus could think of only one thing. Me, 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 me. I love me, 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 me. You have money, give it now. I love me, 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 me. And he meets Jesus and suddenly, for the first time in his life, he's thinking about how that there's some needs out there, and I can meet them. I will give half of my goods. At this moment, also, folks, he went from being the most hated man in town to the most loved man in town. Not a bad trip. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how your value system changes when you become a Christian? Some of you guys who are here are still in shock, but you're here. Some of you, I know what you once said. Me. Here you are. <laughs> Hugging them, even. Amazing. 
Something happens. And this guy Zacchaeus, though, he's not finished. He says, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, <laughs> you know he has. I'll pay back four times the amount. Hey, this guy got seriously saved. And then Jesus said, you know, he said, I'll pay back four times the amount. There goes the other half of his business, I imagine. Then Jesus said, today bankruptcy has come. No, 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 that's not what he said. <laughs> today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Wow. He's a hunter. In fact, let me tell you another hunting story to help you even understand more what kind of hunter he is. This is a true story. It's a personal one. My father was a pastor. And at one point he was taking some flying lessons at a little community airport near our house. He planned to go back into the interior of the state where we lived to begin some additional churches. One day when he went out for his regular flying lesson, while he was there, a training plane from a nearby Air Force base landed there. It wasn't supposed to do that. The pilot got out and chatted with the fellows there, including my dad, and said to my father, You ever rode one of these training planes? No. Would you like to? Sure. Hop in. Okay. He wasn't supposed to invite my dad, and my dad was not supposed to get in, but he did, and he did. Well, this pilot didn't use adequate runway to take off. He did manage to get airborne, but was unable to clear some trees beyond the end of the runway, and he clipped the top of them, a plane crash. Life was changed for everybody at that moment. The pilot was not severely injured, but my father was. Now his left side's paralyzed and his brain's badly damaged. Well, the Air Force is upset over this. Maybe they're going to throw that pilot into prison for 25 years for having done this. But my dad, who's cut a little different from the average, went to bat for him and said, Look, I, I got into the plane voluntarily. Don't be so hard on him. So they gave this pilot a dishonorable discharge, which, if you're familiar with the military, that's pretty severe. Well, we were penniless. So we went to the Air Force and said, can you help us? And they said, no, we're not responsible because this man was not doing Air Force duty when this occurred. So now it became a civil liability case. The pilot was responsible and he knew it. So he disappeared. Well, my parents began to hunt him. It took a whole year took the help of the government to find him. This was before the days of computers. They know where you are now. But finally they found him, and they wrote him a letter, and it went something like this. Sir, it seems to us that you're running from us, and we really don't want you to live this kind of life. Please know that you're forgiven. We absolve you of all liability. You owe us nothing. My wife and I are both signing this letter so that you can live free. We only ask that you let us know you got it, and it's okay. There was no answer. A couple of months later, they wrote him again, just like the first one. This one, though, came back, stamped on the front, moved, left no forwarding address. He was running. Started hunting him again. It took another year to find him. He had moved a couple of thousand miles away. The government had to help us. Finally, they found him. 
wrote him another letter just like the first one, except he said, Sir, obviously you are running from us, and we really don't want you to live this way. Please, please, no. We forgive you, man, and, and you owe us nothing. My wife and I are both signing this letter again so you can live free. We only ask that you let us know you got it, and it's okay. There was no answer. A couple of months later, they wrote him again, just like the first one. Came back, stamped on the front, moved. Left no forwarding address. He was running. Now, unlike God, who's a bit more persistent, that was the last time my parents ever tried to find that man. So somewhere in this country today, there is a man who is still running, terrified that I might find him. <laughs> Maybe you're here this morning. And if you are, the sad thing is you're holding your hands all you need to live free. You just don't believe it. won't receive it. As I pondered that story, it dawned on me that there are millions more in our country running from God, terrified that he might find them. And yet they hold in their hands all they need to live free. They just don't believe it. They won't receive it. Well, I hear a question from time to time. And it's a good question. It really is. What will he do to you if he catches you? Good question. Now, I know what happens if you become a follower of Jesus. Your friends, your co-workers, they don't say, Oh, wonderful, you're a follower of Jesus now. Oh, no. It goes like this. Ah. You got religion. Wow. Now you're a holy Joe. Or a righteous game. Well, they'll say, oh, you're, you're, you're a Christian now. Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to scrunch your face up real tight like the other Christians that you see. <laughs> well, they'll say something like this. Oh, you got religion. Well, the party's over. <laughs> you were having fun up till now, but the fun is over. I was flying back from London once on the plane with a football team. For some reason or other, I took up with them. <laughs> they began to tell me about London. Oh, man, did we have fun in the sport. They know how to treat you in London. We had so much fun. I mean, we had so much fun. And I thought, fun? Fun? Boy, did I have fun last week. Of course, my wife left me and I lost my kids in my house and my job. But boy, did I have fun. Fun? You know, we who know the Lord have a little secret. Now, we don't, it's not, we don't try to keep it a secret. We don't mean to. But how do you We know that when you become a follower of Jesus, that's when the party starts, man. That's when the fun begins, man. I wish everybody had as much fun as I do. 
Sometimes when I go to bed at night, I have to massage them again. Because <laughs> I've been laughing so hard, and when I get up in the morning, got to massage them again. You know, you know, I see your muscle laugh all night. And I don't have to worry about what I said or did yesterday. <laughs> but it is a good question. Just what will he do to you if he catches you? Well, let me tell you another story that will help you understand it. This is not a true story, and it's even more personal than the other ones. And I have to confess something to you at this point. Uh, I hate to have to do it, but I have to. There have been two people in my life whom I hated. And I hated them. That's <laughs> true. They were uncles of mine. One of them was named Raymond, and the other one was named Austin. Hated them. See, the problem with hatred is it's a form of bondage, man. It messes you up so bad when you think. And God, who loves his kids, wants them to live free. And so if there is any area of bondage like that in your life, he'll go to work on it because he wants you to live free. Yeah. You know, he'll work on it even if you resist. <laughs> Which I managed to do. Yeah. You know how it is. Uh, you avoid certain things. There's certain scriptures you know. Don't read them. <laughs> Let's go to the psalm. The psalm is nice. I avoided the Lord's Prayer. I like most of it. But there's that one terrible line. Forgive us our sins and we forgive those who sin against us. The Raymond and Austin would pop into my mind. You know, sometimes you read the Bible accidentally. Love your enemy? Oh! Do good to those who despitefully use you? I Pray for your enemies? I but I knew I had to do it. Now, I must also confess to you that my early praying was not very mature. It went something like this. God, you said vengeance was yours. You would repay, get him! But God wouldn't let me get away with that, and I knew that I had to pray for them the kind of prayer I would want prayed for me. So I began to pray, oh, Father, really bless them, Lord. Draw them to you. You see, Austin had been the first Irwin to become a Christian, but... And he drifted away from God, and his third state was worse than his first. And Raymond had known the Lord, too, but he had grown cold in his relationship. So I prayed, oh, Lord, really, just draw them to you and fill them with the knowledge of you and your will, God. Bless them so much they can't even stand it. Overwhelm them, God. Capture them. And he did. <laughs> And you know, they both really got back tight with the Lord, and there was a wonderful reconciliation in our family. Only God could have done it. But you know, I noticed even as I prayed for these guys, I didn't hate them anymore. In fact, to my absolute amazement, I discovered that I loved them. I knew that was God. Well... I thought the story was over. 
but it wasn't. You see, when I was graduated from college, I was married. My wife and I had a one-year-old daughter named Gloria, who's here this morning, by the way. She's no longer one. I made, and God had already called me to do what I'm doing now, but I made a dumb decision. It wasn't the first dumb decision I've ever made, but no, no, the last one either, but it was a dumb one. I decided that we would head out across America and I would teach at churches for a week at a time. Now, folks, there's not a big demand for kids right out of college to come and teach for a week. What I'm trying to tell you is I was kind of largely unemployed, okay? You know who saved my life? It was Raymond. He was a farmer and he said, hey, Gail. I need help on my farm. Come plow for me. Help me fix some things. I've got a place where you and your family can live. You can eat at my table, and I'll take care of you until somebody wants you. <laughs> and I thought, this is awesome, John, that you wouldn't let Raymond be the one who would save my life. What a beautiful symbol of your restoration. You did this, didn't you? Yep. I thought so. <laughs> Well, I thought the story was over, but it wasn't. You see, about 17 years ago, my father passed away. A couple of years later, my mother married again. I performed the ceremony, by the way, and at the close, I wanted to say, I now pronounce you mom and dad. <laughs> she married one of the finest men I have ever met in my life. He is a jewel. Oh, he's a jewel. He's also about uh, six feet, six inches tall and skinny, and when I introduce him as my dad, people look at him, they look at me, and then him, and so what happened, Gail, is the radiation, radiation. <laughs> His name happens to be Raymond. Not the same Raymond, but Raymond. I thought, this is incredible, God, that you would give me a man who I dearly love, and I even call him Dad, and his name is Raymond. What a beautiful symbol of your restoration in my life. You did this, didn't you? Yep, I thought so. <laughs> well, I thought the story was over. <laughs> but it wasn't. You see, they're still awesome. Now, Austin and I had been reconciled, but he had moved to northwest Arkansas. I hadn't seen him for years, didn't even know where he lived there. Now, I rarely got into that area, but I happened to be speaking in northwest Arkansas one weekend. I didn't know if he even knew I was there. But when I got up to speak that Sunday, I'll never forget it. There he was. Oh, man. When I finished speaking, we made a beeline to one another. You can hear that bear hug for miles. Man, I can still feel it. We were brothers now. All that was past was past. We loved each other. That was God. A few weeks after that, Austin died. And I thought the story was over. But it wasn't. You see, about four years ago, Gloria was here, gave birth to her fourth child, a son who is in her arms right now, whom she named Austin Singer. She put our names together. 
And every time I pick up this handsome, intelligent, outstanding young man, and hold him, I think, Austin Gale, oh Lord, what a wonderful, beautiful symbol of your restoration in my life, my grandson, Miss Arcane, together. You did this, didn't you? Yep. I thought so. <laughs> you see, folks, when she named him, she did not know the story that I just told her. So a couple of months after he was born, I said, sit down, honey, I want to tell you a story. Okay, Daddy. And I told her what I just told you. And she cried. She said, Daddy, I didn't know. I know, I know. That's what makes us so good. This is God. <laughs> well, I thought the story was over. <laughs> but it wasn't. You see, about three and a half years ago, I dedicated Austin Gale to the Lord. I love baby dedication. And as I held him in front of the congregation, I said, you know, there is something special about this one, though, that you need to hear. And I told him Austin Gale's story. At the close of that, I realized something. You see, standing three paces to my left was my stepdad, Raymond. He and my mother had flown out for this event, and it dawned on me that he had never heard his story. So I said, folks, there's one more story I want you to hear. And I told him Raymond's story. Oh, man, we were melted cheese all over the floor. <laughs> you see, I just want you to see, folks, what happens when the lion of the tribe of Judah enters your life. Wonderful things happen. He hunts chains and eats them. He loves to see you free. Now, I need to tell you something very important now, a couple of things that a lot of people do not know. The first one is that Jesus is not the only lion in the Bible. There is another one. In fact, Peter warns us about him. He says, watch out, be on your guard, beware your adversary, your enemy, the devil. Like a roaring lion goes to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. So, folks, you have two lions that are after you. One is seeking to devour you. And one is seeking to save you. Now you just tell me what the intelligent choice is. <laughs> There's another thing that a lot of people don't know. Jesus will chase you, and he will chase you, and he will chase you, because he loves you, but he will not catch you, because he loves you. He will not violate your ability to choose. See, he will not he will not force you. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's a gentleman. He knocks. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in. You see, that's the way he operates. So you see, if you're waiting on him to clobber you, he's not gonna do it. He loves you too much for that, but he sure is gonna chase you. Well, what a horrible life to spend it running. What do you do? I run from God. <laughs> I sit by people on airplanes. Yeah, I really don't have a choice. And it's, it's really interesting because they always want to know, what do you do? You know? I've started saying I'm a migrant worker in the harvest of the Lord. Now I tell them, well, I go everywhere teaching on the nature of Jesus, man. And you can instantly tell 
if we're running. But <laughs> well, I don't have any religion. I'm not really into religion, you know. But then they want to know why I am. <laughs> I'm glad to tell. Oh, that's religion stuff. Too big a picture. I can't handle it. You know. It's just too big a picture. So I just don't have any kind of religion. Now, a guy's telling me this. I won't tell you who he was. He's an important man. And you maybe even know him, but he's done. I just don't have any religion. It's too big a picture. I can't handle this. I don't, so I, I just don't have any religion at all. I said, well, how do you know the difference between right and wrong? I said, there has to be some authority that decides for you what's right and wrong. Well, I don't know. He said it. I said, well, I better not ever do business with you. You'll cheat me, won't you? You know what he said? Yeah, I probably will. But he kept saying, oh, the picture's too big for me. I said, you know, the funny thing is, you're the intelligent man. You're telling me the picture's too big. I said, I know some really simple people that have figured it out. I even know some children that understand this big picture, you know. He allowed us how I had a point there. We spent a lot of time running. What a terrible thing to do with your life. But if you were to say to him, oh, and boy, do it this morning. If you haven't, please, please, please do it this morning. You say to him, Jesus, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Stop, man, and I can't control myself. And I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life and take over, man. Help me turn from my past. He'll do it. And you'll hear this awesome roar, and you'll see these huge teeth lunging at you, and you'll hear this sickening crunch, and you'll discover that he just ate your chains. What he was after? Why was I afraid of him? He only wanted to eat my chains. Can I tell you one more story? Now, <laughs> uh, who's talking you? It's a Bible story, and, and you already know it, but you just never heard it told the way I'm going to tell it. <laughs> the guy in the Old Testament, yeah, his name, it's a terrible name to give people. Now, back then, yeah, it's a good name now, but back then, they would name people in keeping with who they really were, see. So if you knew a person's name and the meaning of his name, you knew the person. We don't do that today. We just kind of flip through baby books till we find names that, you know, sound good, my parents named me Gail, which means a big win. So obviously parents do not. Well, anyway. This guy's, <laughs> this guy's name, loosely translated, meant dirty, sneaky thief. Now, how would you like to have that name? You go to school and they call a roll, dirty, sneaky thief? Here. You grow up and go to the bank to get a loan to go into business? And your name, sir? Uh, uh, a dirty, stinky thing. <laughs> well, you know who I'm talking about, Jacob. And if your name's anything like that, I want you to know that it's a good name now. We've redeemed it. So, all right. <laughs> really, we all ought to be named Jacob. Well, he lived up to his name, dirty, sneaky thief, his brother Esau out of the birthright. Esau's furious. He's going to kill him. And Jacob does what all of us Jacobs do. 
he ran. Ran away and went to live with his uncle Laban, who was just like him. It was perfect. They deserved each other. And for 20 years, they dirty, sneaky feast each other to a fairly well, until finally Laban says, that's it, I can't stand it anymore, leave me. So Jacob left him and took just about everything Laban owned with him. In fact, his wife, Rachel, who had learned from both her father and her husband very cleverly, escaped with the most valuable item in the house. Now, where do you go? you got two names on your resume, Esau and Laban. Check with them. They can tell you how it works. <laughs> well, God had said to Jacob, go home. I'll bless you. Have you ever heard from God and wished he'd give you more details? Go home. I'll bless you. But the thing is, <laughs> we're never really satisfied. If God tells us just a little bit, He always tells us nothing. Oh, boy, I wish He had told me more. And other people say, oh, He told us too much already. <laughs> you, you, you expect me to read the whole Bible. Do you understand? There's over a thousand pages. Did you realize it? And, and, and it's got a lot of rules. I just know it has a bunch of rules in it. And, I, and I've heard it has the gaps. And you know I don't like to read the gaps. But you know, I've discovered that it doesn't matter how much God says, we're going to mess it up. I mean, he started off, this Bible starts off with the most beautiful story. Oh, he creates the heavens and the earth and he places Adam and Eve in this specially designed garden. Who will design a garden? And it's called Eden, which means paradise. It was beautiful. It was everything, man. We don't know exactly where it was. You know, the Tigris-Euphrates River, somewhere near San Bernardino, probably. <laughs> we don't know the size. We don't know the size. Maybe, let's assign a size. Say 100 square miles. How many trees can you get in 100 square miles? A lot. And they were all edible. God had said, no. You don't have to worry about what to eat, man. Everything in the garden is edible. In fact, he says, in the whole garden, with billions of trees, with all the perfect food you can ever want in the whole garden. We only have one rule. That's all. In paradise. In the whole garden, there's only one tree that we don't want to eat from. That's all. Really? Where is it? And the next thing you see, Adam and Eve are both sitting under that tree. Look at me. Doesn't want to see that, hmm? I wonder why. Now, you know, when you're questioning God's command, Satan be glad to give you a reason. You know, the story about page three, it's all over. Doesn't take us long. 
someone says don't, we say don't what? I have some friends, the husband told me this story. He said he and his wife were going out for a much-needed evening together. They had hired a babysitter for their, I think, three-year-old daughter or so. And He says, I'm an intelligent man. He says, I know better than to say this. I cannot believe I said this. I'm an intelligent man. But he says, as I walk out the door, I turned and said to my daughter, don't push me beans up your nose while we're gone. The nasty's sitting there thinking, why? <laughs> well, you can finish the story. <laughs> when they came back, first job they had was an emergency trip to get beans taken out of her nose, the doctor. There's something about us human beings, isn't there? Somebody, even God says, don't. We say, don't what? Why? Well, back to Jacob. <laughs> Jacob had heard from God, go home and I'll bless you. So he heads home. Just before he gets home, the scouts bring word back to him, your brother Esau is just over the hill with an army. Now, that's known as bad news. Here he is, man. It's over. Boy, he is trapped between the IRS and the FBI. He can run no further. You know, and there always comes a point where... When us, Jacob, can't run anymore. It, it happens. It, it eventually happens. The sad thing is how much time and precious life that we waste. Run. Well, he did the only thing he could do. He sent his family one direction, his goods another direction. He sent gifts over to Esau. And the Bible records that that night he was alone with himself. <laughs> what a thing to be alone with. When you're a dirty, sneaky thief. I had a philosopher once ask me, have you ever knocked at your own door and found yourself not home? That was kind of the situation with Jacob. As we say, the lights were on, but nobody was home. And into his miserable, lonely existence when he didn't expect to be alive another 24 hours now. Suddenly, an angel. Now, when I say the word angel, what pops into your mind? Do you see as I do this big, bright? <laughs> well, actually, the Bible never describes angel that way, but it's okay. It's not too bad a tradition, I guess. However, I need to play with your brain just a little bit here. Let me say another word. What pops into your mind? Rustler. Hey, uh, different, right? Dang, top short, cauliflower ears. Hey, uh. Well, this angel was a wrestler, so you're going to have to adjust your view of angels just a bit and see him as a wrestler. But I need to play with your brains just a little bit more. When I say, Jesus, what pops into your mind? Just like the angel, no wings, right? But I am one of many who believe that this was a pre-fleshly appearance of Jesus. So now can you imagine Jesus? Tank top, short, cauliflower. Ah! 
When I get to heaven, I hope they have an instant replay machine up there because I want to see this. I want to see what made Jacob take him off. If I were him and suddenly in the middle of the night in the wilderness, this guy shows up and says, let's wrestle. I'd say, you've got to catch me first. Now, anybody here, any of you guys wrestle in high school or college? Anybody? Any old wrestlers? Okay. When a match goes the distance, how long does it last? Never with the distance? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean, I shouldn't have done that. I, <laughs> that was mean. I, I, I don't like myself sometimes. <laughs> Three minutes a minute. Six, okay. How do you feel at the end of that time? Exhausted. Dead, man. These guys wrestle all night long. It was a draw. Nobody won. Neither prevailed. Man, that guy Jacob was such a wrestler. The angel had even shriveled part of his hip, man. He said, come on, I'll still fight you. Come on. And then Jacob did the most intelligent thing he did in his whole life. He gave up. And his sister cannot careful. You see, he seemed to recognize who he was wrestling with, and he says, you must not leave here until you bless me. Now, here's, here's the dynamic here. Back in that day, in a contest of this sort, the winner would give a gift to the loser. See, because the giving of gifts was a show of strength. And the loser was the weaker, the winner was the strongest, so he'd give a gift to the loser. So back then, if you had a trophy case full of trophies, Here's where I lost the sun, sun. <laughs> and Jacob, in essence, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm having to take this knowledge and paraphrase this with for you. Jacob says, I lose, you win. You must not leave here until you declare yourself winner and bless me. Give me a gift. The angel said, okay. What's your name? Oh, no. <laughs> You know, when you fought that hard, you hate to have to admit you're still the dirty, sneaky thief. You, know? you may even be in the dirty, sneaky thief all the time. She's dirty, dirty, sneaky thief. The angel said, no more. From now on, your name is Israel, Prince of God, because you have wrestled with God and man and won. Just a minute, Mr. Angel. Let's go, let's go with this. I just gave up, right? right? And you're telling me I won, right? Right. Let's go over this one more time. <laughs> Folks, I have just shared with you one of the greatest secrets of Scripture. If you want to win with God, give up! I am amazed at how often I, now you never do this, but I do this, I wrestle with God. He says, you know, I want you to do this. Oh, now wait a minute, Lord. Give up! You don't know what wrestling is. You just thought, well, but Jacob, why don't you wrestle with me? <laughs> then I'm exhausted and I say, well, that's it. I'm only coming to church on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> when all I had to do to win was give up.
There's some of you here. You're running from God. You know it. You know if I'm talking to you or not. And yet God has gone to great trouble to put this moment together for you and let you hear Him lovingly, gently. But you have to open the door. You have to give up. He will not violate you. Please do it this morning. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And, and I want you to pray too if I'm talking about you. And tell him that. Tell him, God, I give up. Please, please come into my life and cleanse me. And if you don't know what to say, listen to me pray. And if I, you can do with what I'm praying, just say, God, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. <laughs> and if you're wrestling here, maybe, maybe some of you... You're a believer, but man, God's spoken to your heart and you kind of resisted. And you're really tired. Maybe you're burnt out. And the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning and you'd like to give up and say, God, I don't want to fight you anymore. I want to cooperate with you so my life will be worthwhile and fruitful. Tell him that. If you don't know what to say, Listen to me pray. And if you agree with it, oh God, that's it. I agree with that prayer. That's my prayer. But whatever you do, I don't want anybody, oh God, help us. I don't want anybody leaving this building today. That would be the saddest thing in the world. Anybody would leave here running or wrestling. Now, for your sake, for your sake, in the name of God, Get up. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Oh, you're so good to us. How can we say thank you? That's all we can say is thank you. Thank you for chasing us, God. You've chased us. and You should have given up a long time ago. We're not worth it. But yet you still have chased us because you love us. And now, Lord, forgive us, will you please? Man, I've messed up and I'm so sorry. And I, I, I ask you to come in and forgive my sins and clean my life up. And God, give me strength to live for you. I want to turn from all those old ways. And I don't know how to do it. you got to do it. Please do it. Oh, thank you. I believe that you keep your promises and I'm, I'm going to rest in that. Thank you. Oh, Father, I apologize for wrestling with you. It's been kind of dumb. Will you forgive me? I wasted so much time when I really could have been making my life count. Now I don't want to fight against you. I want to cooperate with you. Please help me to do that. Give me fresh wisdom. But whatever, Lord, right here and now, I give up and ask you to be in charge again of my life. Oh, Lord, I thank you. Oh. oh, even now, Lord, I sense the rest that you intend for me to have. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.